forever. Dog. Hey folks, it's me, Ben Blacker, the creator and host of this Writer's Panel podcast. Hope you're all doing all right with the world being a monstrous hellscape right now. You may have noticed that we've slowed releases of the podcast for the time being. Honestly, it's just too difficult to muster up the wherewithal to record them. I think, like a lot of you, I'm having trouble focusing. I'm having trouble wanting to do anything that doesn't make a difference in the world. And much as I enjoy the conversations, much as I love talking with writers about writing, it's hard enough right now getting my writing work done. So I'm trying to lay off the things that take up too much attention or planning. But I do have some new episodes for you, which I think are really interesting. Back in March, my friend Martha McGee reached out to say she's teaching a class at DePaul University in Chicago called Topics of Television, The Showrunner. The class takes a look at different showrunners, their interests, styles, and how they've contributed to pushing television storytelling forward. And Martha asked if I knew anyone who might want to answer questions from the students about showrunning and TV storytelling. I thought this was a great opportunity to get some real questions from real new writers, folks who want to do this professionally, who want to be in television, but maybe don't have an idea of where to begin, the kinds of questions I really haven't been able to ask since we stopped doing the live episodes, the ones we, you know, we would get those questions from audience members. So I asked Martha if we could record the conversations, and she and the class agreed. I reached out to four of my favorite showrunners, people whose perspectives I really wanted to hear uh, Gloria Calderon Kellett, Stephen Cannells, Kevin Beagle, and Aline Brosh McKenna all agreed to give their time to the class and answer the students' questions. They really were great conversations. The questions were so smart and so astute. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy listening to these. They write, they talk, and talk about what they write. Tune in tonight, or whenever the time is right. It's the Writer's Panel with Ben Blacker, and it's starting now. Uh, we're very pleased to welcome Kevin Beagle. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, Kevin's been a writer, a producer, many TV shows, uh, was creator and showrunner of Cougar Town, Enlisted. We are really excited to talk to Kevin, and we have a whole lot of questions. Hi. Uh, thanks for being here, Kevin. Um, Hi, Andrew. My question is... Um, sort of about getting into the industry. Um, I'm actually in graduate school right now, but in between I had an internship in LA. Okay. I was, it just seems so insurmountable. And yeah. It seems like starting like the writer's assistant is the right path. Is yeah. the common path? Yeah. How do you even like do that? How did you even get to that? You that know? It, it does. I mean, it absolutely. It absolutely, I'm sorry, cut you off. Um, no. <laughs> It absolutely does seem insurmountable. I mean, your 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 instinct is spot on, and uh, it. So I I had a weird circuitous route to kind of get into this. I'd always grown up, and I always wanted to be a writer growing up. Um, and then I went to college. Went to college, and uh, I wanted to. You know, I was going to be a magazine writer. That was what that was kind of the dream. Um, but I was also writing kind of film reviews at the time, and I saw a early screening of There's Something About Mary. Uh, at Boston College, you know, way before it came out. And I wrote a review of it. You know, I'm like this college kid who thinks he knows everything. I wrote this big review of it online way before it came out saying, here's what they should change. Here's this story doesn't make sense. I mean, who am I to write this? The next morning, I got a phone call from uh, Pete Farrelly in my dorm room. I woke up like hungover and, you know, college kid. And uh, he's like, hey, you got us in trouble. And I was like, who is this? And 
and basically what happened is the review I put online with all the cuts and stuff I said they should make uh, is the cut that they were lobbying for with the studio and the studio thought that Pete had planted the review himself. So that was like, that, that, that that's weird. Like that doesn't really happen. But what, so that was kind of like, that steered me towards LA. Um, and I got a job as Pete's assistant on me, me, myself and Irene. But then th- that's where this, this is where it, 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 it stops being like a Cinderella story. Cause at that point I'm like, this is going to be easy. Hollywood's this a cinch. And then it was just like, nope, no work for like five years, <laughs> you know, cause I wanted to be a writer and that's what I wanted to do. Um, so I would, I, you know, I did what everyone's, you know, I did any, any odd job I could out here. Uh, I wrote nonstop, um, you know, I, I'm sure I disappointed my parents nonstop as well. But at the same time, as far as breaking in, like I did have those connections still with the Farrelly's, uh, but they were doing film and stuff. They didn't really have any connections in TV. What I did on my own then was I had, they used to have this thing called the Hollywood Creative Directory, right? And they still have versions of this. And I know this is very long-winded. I apologize. I For two years straight, uh, I called every single TV show and production office in that book and said, hi, I'm Kevin. You know, do you need a writer's assistant? Because I'm the same as you. I figured the best way to uh, become a writer was to be in the room with the other writers to, to be around them and like, you know, you know, hopefully impress them. Two years I did that, you know, nothing, I got nothing out of it. Um, and then eventually because I kept beating doors down because I didn't, I didn't say this is too impossible. Some random person said, Hey, I heard that you wanted to be a writer's assistant. There's a new show that's coming on uh, TV. It was the Tracy Morgan show way before, you know, he used to have a sitcom and would you be interested? And I immediately like jumped at the chance. So like t- my very long winded way of saying it is like, even if you have a, a wonderful, someone places you in this perfect position of uh, having a, a job out here, you still got to work your butt off and you have to beat down every single door possible. And, th- and that's literally like the only way to do it. And, and part of that is making connections with people and talking like we're talking right now and like, and, and, and wanting to, and meeting people who want to kind of pay it forward because I've got very lucky and people gave me a chance. And I'm, I'm not putting myself on a pedestal, I promise you, but there's a lot of people who don't think of saying, ah, you know, I want to give this guy a chance. They're just like they, Hollywood shocker is very much up their own butt about a lot of stuff. So they don't think about helping other people. Um, you just got to keep beating the doors down, sending email after email. I mean, it's funny, Pete, the first time I met uh, Pete Fairley, he said the people, he goes, a lot of people come out here and a lot of people give up and leave. And I promise you, the ones who make it are the ones that stay. And the ones that keep hammering it. And it and it sounds like the easiest advice in the world, but it's so I've been out here for 20 something years and I've seen I've seen it like the, I've seen people leave because it is really hard. But I've also seen people who just won't give up and are persistent and work really hard. You eventually will break those doors down. You eventually will get into a room. It's just it's it's not being a, the the kind of dis, distill all of that is you have to uh, aggressively go after what you want and you have to be your own champion and you have to, you know, keep sending the emails and keep making the phone calls and like make them listen to you and make them give you a, a shot. Um, and that's, that's kind of like the only, the only way to do it unless your dad is like Steven Spielberg or something. And I bet you, even in that case, he's like, you got to work for it, buddy. You know, we, I, I just have a quick, quick question. So you, even though you had the connections with the Fairley brothers, like you wanted to write for television, it sounds yeah. like for film. Why? Why would you choose uh, television over film? Uh, because for two reasons. One, I did want to write for film when I first got out here and started working with them. It's like this is you know writing for film is really fun. And then I what I realized is that writing for film is great if you can make it your living and it's it's wonderful and it's so it's it's freeing. But 
the thing is, is that like, and it's it, a little bit more gets made now, but it's very rare. A script gets made, you know, it's rare to get read for, to be honest, but to get made is super rare in TV. Once you're trucking, you're trucking, you know, a lot of it gets made and there's a satisfaction in seeing things be made every week and, and, and putting and being able to be like, I'm going to put the work in and actually see a, a finished filmed product. Like that's really thrilling. And at first I was like, no, I don't want to do TV. I just want to do film. But then once I, I heard of what it could be like um, via friends and connections, I kind of started gravitating towards that. And also the thing about uh, TV that I find really fun is as far as the writing aspect of it, it's much more communal and like a team effort and everyone working together. And I love, I love building stuff with people. I think that's just, that's so, so fun. And then and a very a last answer, a very egocentric answer is, uh, and this is, this, it's kind of an old saw, but it's true in movies, like the writers kind of like lower on the totem pole, but in, in television, the writer and the showrunner, you're kind of, for lack of a better term, you're, you're in charge of a lot of stuff. And it's really, it's thrilling to go, I'm going to, you know, enlisted as a military show I did. It's thrilling that some company is going to pony up you know, tens of millions of dollars for, for me and a group of people to make a television show about the military and my trauma and try to make it a comedy. Like that's mind blowing. And it, I, there's just more opportunities for stuff like that I find in TV. And I think it's more fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter, you have a question. Hi, I was just wondering, are there any topics or subject matters uh, that you've been interested in discussing through your writing, but that executives or censors have said were off limits? And if so, what were they and what, did you disagree or agree with the decision? I th- there was a little bit of almost sound like auto-tune in there. I think you were, you asked, um, is, is there, was there any topics I wanted to talk about or write about and executives uh, maybe had some hesitance on it? Uh, yeah, that uh, executives or censors said were off limits. And did you agree or disagree with them? Uh, I've been very fortunate that I haven't had that many moments of that. Like with Enlisted, the show I just mentioned, right from the get-go, I was like, this show is going to be about this guy's trauma. You know, not all soldiers are like this, but this one particular soldier out of these three does have has the, some stuff that happened to him overseas. And we're going to write towards that. It's a comedy, but that's a part of his character. And they were... Gung, they were like, go for it. That's great. Um, as far as like stuff that we can't do, I do remember it's funny, like with uh, Cougar Town, this was like the first or second season. The sexual stuff was fine, but we couldn't like we couldn't have a uh, a kid at a party hold a red cup with beer in it because that that said someone's drinking and no one could be smoking. But we could do sex jokes. It, so it's really weird. And that kind of stuff, you know, you have to pick your battles because part of this is you don't want to be the person that like puts their, unless you're a super genius and I'm not a super genius. You don't want to be the person that puts your foot down and goes, I'm doing this and to hell with you. Because at the end of the day, like an executive, they have to go home to their family too. They don't want to remember you as the guy or the girl who's just a big pain in the butt. And is like, I need children to be drinking alcohol on my show where it's terrible. They want someone who like, is it who stands up for what they believe in, but is also willing to go, okay, I understand. Let me figure out if I can do a kind of a, um, a compromise here. So no, I haven't had anything that I, that I was told or pushed away from writing towards. I've been, I think, and I think part of that is you have to let the people know who are paying your bills that you're going to, you're going to pick that topic and do it in a way that is, I don't want to say respectful because that makes it sound a little, 
rarefied, but in a way that's like actually part of the show and what you're writing and it's an inherent to it. Because if it's just kind of frivolous, then it then you don't really have a leg to stand on. But if you say this is intrinsic to the character, this is really important, most of the time they'll go, okay, that's fine. Uh, Lisa, you have a question. Hi, Lisa. Um, my question is, which is harder to write in your opinion, the pilot or the finale? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I would definitely say the pilot though. I think I think they're both they both have their sets of challenges. Um, challenges. There's my Chicago accent coming out because I was born in Blue Island. <laughs> challenges. I say milk and challenges. Um, I think the pilot's much harder because the pilot is pilots are are weird beasts because more than any other episode of your show, you'll have everybody's eyes on it. Um, you, you, you know, it's it's the it's a baby, so everyone everyone's got different ideas of how it should grow up, basically. And you're, you're, you're trying to kind of artfully, artfully get a lot of information in there and not make it like there's a comedian. I can't remember his name, but he would, he used to joke about how in a lot of pilots, there's just so much, um, backstory thrown in randomly. It's like past the salt brother who was attacked by wolves and raised in the, in the middle of the forest and didn't see the family for 10 years. And now is back with a new wife. Thank you. Like it's all, it's really, it can be really awkward and you got shoehorn stuff in. I, so I think the pilot definitely, the nice thing though, is that if you have an idea because of the pilot of where the show's going to go, like with Enlisted, we kind of knew that would be a great ending kind of for that arc of the season. Then the, then the finale becomes a lot much easier and more fun to write. Same thing with like Cougar Town. Um, so yeah, I think definitely the pilot. Uh, Tori, question. Hi, my Hi, question Tori. was, what was the most interesting anecdote you received from your military consultant or <laughs> just from research that you included in Enlisted? Oh my gosh. There was, I, I gave all the writers a book when we started a book. It's print, printed out pages of all the research I'd done and people I talked to that was, I'm not kidding, a hundred pages long. Um, and they're like, we got to read this. I was like, yeah, you have to read that. That's all the stories and things I talked to people about. Oh God. I think the one that's the the one that just randomly pops into my head was there was um, a blog. I can't remember the guy's name. What was his name? I don't think it was Terminal Lance. It was, it was Terminal Lance as a uh, as a comic, but he would basically talk about all the mundane stuff that they had to do, and 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 it was wonderful because it kind of basically was like this is what you think you have to do as a soldier in the military, and this is what we actually had to do. And one of the stories he had, we I always wanted to do it on the show was this. It was like a, it was like a um, Ahab and the whale kind of story almost, but there was this giant, for some reason, there was a huge, like, you know, the mats you would see inside a gym, like the really thick mats. They had one of these giant thick mats that was like 50 feet by 50 feet. And it was sitting in this room and there was a, uh, a general who was dead set on moving that mat from one base to another. They didn't even know they were going to use it for it. And he basically it was like this, this comedy of errors of all the different ways they tried to get this huge mat out of this building, you know, in a war zone. Like, it didn't matter. They didn't need to do it. But someone had to bug up their butt about doing it. And, like, there was, like, 10 different ways they tried to get it out. Like, it broke a truck at one point. Someone got hurt from it and got sent home because they got hurt. And it's like, what was your injury? Was it in combat? It's like, no, it was moving a mat. Like, and just weird little minutiae like that. That was the, that, I think those are the things that kind of stick out the most. It, it sounds like things have changed so much about how you want to get things right. I'm sure there was a lot of pressure writing enlisted that you wanted to make sure that 
you knew stuff about the military and you got it right as opposed yeah. to like in the seventies doing like private Benjamin, the TV series. That's how old I am. That I remember that. <laughs> But it was just like, ah, let's just throw that out. Totally. Know? Yeah. No, and we we were guilty of getting a lot wrong. I mean, I have family in the military, grew up with a lot of military people, you know, my dad, my grandfather, my brother-in-law. Like it was so it was it was actually a very personal thing to me. And then we did the pilot and we even had a consultant on the pilot. Like, I want to make sure we get this right. And then the pilot got out and we got hammered, rightfully so, by a lot of people in the military community going, That's wrong, that's wrong. How can you get that wrong? So then I was like, all right, let's make this an opportunity. And we turned it into this thing where like we got new um, uh, consultants and then we did this thing uh, that kind of in a nice way in, um, made the military community go, oh, these guys are actually paying attention to us where we go, look, we screwed up the pilot. There's a ton wrong in it uh, as far as like the, the official stuff and the way things are supposed to be. But if you can write down all the stuff that we did wrong and send it to Fox, we'll send you a challenge coin, which is like a thing in the military. You get these little challenge coins for different um accomplishments. And the, the way they saw us going like, oh, they're taking the piss out of themselves a little bit. We got a lot better after that. And it was wonderful because that's the kind of thing, that's the kind of thing as a showrunner that you, it's like, I hate saying think outside the box because it's so trite, but you really, any little thing you can do to endear people to your show is something you should absolutely do because then those people, when they know you care about them, they become voices for your show and they become voices for what you're making. And they'll, they're cheerleaders. And like you want people, obviously you want people to like what you're making, but you also want them to be out there and kind of going, Hey, this thing's getting it right. The show's really funny. Cause that's like, that's the dream of anybody. And anything you can do to propagate that is wonderful. I remember in Cougar town, we would joke every year. Well, no one knew it was a joke. We would always say every year, oh, we're going to change the name of the show, change the name of the show. It's the worst titled show ever. It is the worst titled show ever. We're going to change the name of the show. And every year we did it, press would pick it up and become a news story. Uh, oh my gosh, Cougar Town's going to change the name. And we weren't going to change the name, but what it was was a way to get the press and people to write about the show because after the first year of a show, they're not going to keep promoting you unless you're a huge mega hit, you know? So it's like any little way we can get people to talk about us, we would do it. Uh, Veronica H. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, are there any specific character personalities that you found yourself like integrating throughout your numerous works? Yeah, I, there's a lot. Um, a lot of it's pulled from friends and family and, and personal stuff. Um, I'm not, I don't think I've never really been like a sarcastic person. You know, I think I'm almost sincere to a fault sometimes. So I have, I, I, I can tell you what I don't write to is don't write to, to sarcasm because I think I'm bad at it. Um, but I think writing to someone sometimes who's so sincere, they put themselves in awkward situations as far as comedy. Like that to me is kind of a, I feel like that's something I know and that's fun to write to. Um, and at the same time, cause I feel, I feel like myself, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not, I feel like I'm a goody two shoes. I'm like, I can't drink. I can't smoke. Like I'm like that. So it's almost thrilling then to kind of write characters who do that so I can live vicariously through them a little bit. Um, and then just pulling stuff like for my family, like I've got two young daughters now and just seeing how they interact and seeing how different they are. I'm, I'm, the, I'm right, working on a new thing that's absolutely pulled from who they are. I've got a, a younger brother who was always kind of like the, the goofball in the family who, you know, I would always do impressions of him in the writer's room and stuff. And he he's kind of like a wild child, but also deadly serious about random stuff. And that weird specific trait of somebody who is so seemingly 
goofy and weird and irresponsible, but then is super serious about a couple of random things you would never expect. Like that to me is really funny. So yeah, it's like, it's basically letting everyone you know and love go, okay, guys, uh, I'm going to be soaking up everything you say. I mean, people yell at me sometimes because I'll be in conversation with someone and I'll grab my phone. This is my air conditioner controller, not my phone. Like, what the hell is that? Um, and I'll just start t- writing stuff down. Like, stop it. Like, this doesn't have to be on TV. I'm like, you never know. <laughs> um, Ashley, your question. Yeah. Um, so I was wondering what are the like worst and best aspects of working in TV to you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the best aspects are just the creative outlet. I mean, it is really, especially, oh, free Kahlo. That's funny. We just, kids and I just did a free Kahlo um, poster. I see that behind you. Uh, puzzle. Um, the best aspects are just the freedom of, of creating stuff. And especially when you're in a situation where the, the people above you, the executives and your bosses, where they're on board with the, I hate the vision, but like the, the idea of the show, then it's just so, it's so great. And, and seeing it come to life is just, it's the best. I, and being on a set, I used to hate being on sets. I would get nervous. I would, get, you know, clam up. I'm like, what am I doing here? You know, that the total Catholic guilt, I don't deserve this. Um, but once you get comfortable on a set and you will, you'll eventually get comfortable on a set if you're there long enough and the situation is comfortable enough that became one of the most fun things ever because you realize that you can, the free, I think the most fun I've had is realizing the freedom to screw up and own it. Like being on a set and there's a hundred people around and, and between takes you go up to an actor and you go, okay, try this. Uh, it may be terrible. And if it tanks, it's my fault. All right, let's try. And, and, and like knowing that this may bomb and no, and it's not funny. It, it's like, there's a weird freedom in that. Like that's a, a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I think that's, that also um, plays into one of my other favorite things about it is just the writing. Like I love, I'm a weirdo. I love to sit by myself and write. Like most writers, like I hate writing. I love having finished stuff. I'm like, no, I like sitting in a room, my office right now, just writing. That's joyous. And then that idea of allowing myself to fail here too, it, by myself and go, let me try this. If it doesn't work, we'll try it again. That's wonderful. The worst aspects of it, um, you know, it can be, especially first year shows can be the time crunch can be insane. I remember the Cougar town. Um, I wasn't, I was, I worked, you know, first season, like worked 45 days straight. Um, you know, I had a new baby at the time. You know, my wife wanted to kill me. Uh, I, I was just like, what the heck are we doing? And that was especially during a time in the show when we were making a show that we didn't really like, I mean, we switched course after like episode five going, this is not a good show. We got to change it. Um, the time crunch can be terrible. Uh, I I haven't run shows, but I've been on shows where there's toxic relationships around you, and that can be really trying and taxing. I remember one of my early shows I was I was working on. Um, we would be in the room till like two in the morning every single night. The night would always end with two of the people who were supposed to be bosses fighting, someone storming out, and you're just like, okay, is it really worth it? Like, is this is this worth it? Um, and I think. One of the other things that is not a great thing, but you got to, this one, this isn't really a bad thing, but it's just kind of a nature of the beast is that if you, and this kind of isn't, this part isn't answering your question, but this may be good advice for later on, is that if you are fortunate enough to end up writing on a show, one thing to always remember is that your, your job there is a writer and your job is to write for what the vision of the show and the showrunner showrunner's idea of the show is and what they think is good and dramatic and what they think is funny. You kind of have to write to that. 
Um, and that can be great if you're in line with that way of thinking. I've known people who've gotten on shows where they're like, oh my gosh, this is not my kind of show or my, not my kind of comedy or whatever. You got to suck it up and just write to that because that's, that's the, it's a, it's like being on a cruise ship and, and saying, I, w- I thought this was a fishing boat. And it's like, no, this is what you're on. Like you gotta, you gotta stick to this because, because it's not going to last forever. You want to do the best job you can to make, to, to, to just, you know, grind it out. And you don't want to be the person who's just like, this is not, this isn't funny. I hate this. Cause it's like, you just, you got the job, like just do it as well as you can. And, and, you know, hopefully the next one will be better. Um, so yeah, that's the last part was kind of a little addendum to the first the question, but that, those are the, that's the best and the worst, I think. Good, good, good. Uh, Dylan, you have a question. Hi, Kevin. Uh, my Dylan. question is kind of related to that last part, but, uh, you talked about like, having to change Cougar Town, like how do you approach having to evolve the show or something like that? That was a, um, that was interesting. So we, we, we kind of, we sold the show and made it. Um, and I remember when we sold it, the president of the network, we walked in and we, and you know, did this, there's like 10 people there and I'm this young kid and I'm like, hello, you know, me and Bill Lawrence, the other guy who created it and Bill's done this before. I was like newbie. And, uh, and we go, okay. And, and we said, the name of the show is Cougar Town. And the president of the network goes, oh, I can sell that. Like, the, and, and my, like part of my soul went, oh shit, I'm part of the problem. Okay. Um, and then, but then, so we made the show, made the first episode, you know, with that whole theme. But I think it was around episode like three or four, we, Bill and I were sitting, I think Courtney was there too, sitting down, it was like late at night. And we're like, this is not we want to do, if we can, if we're able to, do we really want to do a hundred episodes of this? Partially because the concept is like, you know, it, 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 the thing, the thing that really was kind of sticking with us was that the concept basically took our star Courtney away every week in a big way from the rest of the cast. And the rest of the cast was great. Like we loved them in the pilot. And then as the show immediately went on immediately, we're like, these people are so good and they're so good when they're all together, but them all being together and kind of being a hangout show is at odds with her rediscovering herself and doing all this stuff. And that stuff's important, but this show over here felt a lot more fun. And, and basic. So basically we all just kind of looked at each other and go, well, what if we just kind of shifted it to a hangout show? And, uh, Hopefully the network is cool. And we kind of, in my memory, at least we kind of did it without a big pronouncement of telling them what it was that we were doing it. We just started kind of writing to that. And we took like maybe two episodes to kind of get away from it. I think the first one where she's truly, truly away from is like, she stays home for a weekend or something like that. Um, And there was never any complaints. There was never any, ugh, this isn't right. Um, I think the, 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 again, I'm long winded. I apologize, but it's just, you got to go with your gut. And if what you're doing doesn't feel right, whether the vision of a whole show or a scene or a piece of dialogue, listen to your gut and try something different. And maybe you're right. And in this case, it was a much more fun show to write. Um, Bridger, you have a question. Hello. Uh, so I have a kind of random question, but I saw on Wikipedia that at one point you were a consultant on South Park. Yeah. Um, I was just going to ask what, one, what a consultant on South Park <laughs> does and how that experience was for you. That was weird. So yeah, I worked uh, there, I think it was season 10 or 12 and a consult. So South Park is weird as far as shows and that you write on go, cause you're not a writer, you're a consultant, like you said. 
you sit around the table, Matt and Trey are there, the whole conversation gets re- recorded and you basically just throw out ideas. And then, uh, every like maybe hour or two, um, geez, it's been so long. Which, who's the one with the blonde hair? Does that matter? Trey? I think well, the one with the blonde. I think Trey. Yeah. Trey will get it. That's it. Trey will get up and I'll go, okay. I'm, and he'll go and write a scene and come back. And you'll do that all day long, you know, every day of the week, usually not Wednesdays though. Cause that's air day. And you just, you're an idea machine. That's basically it. And it was, and, and, and it was great. Cause at the time that was my favorite show. And like to, the, that was a weird, super quick story, but kind of fun. The way they used to interview people is they would go, they would, they would, you know, read material and then the people they liked. And I had written this weird comic book graphic novel thing. The people they liked, they would then take on retreats to see if who would, who, you know, if they worked well with them, this retreat. And I'm like, huh, you got in a private jet on a Friday you flew to Steamboat Springs and stayed at their brand new house that they just built in the mountains. You ski with them all day. And then in the morning and at night, you do story stuff and th- talk about stories. And like, I'm like, and, and you sit there and he's doing the Cartman voice to your face. Like, oh, so like this. And I'm like, what, the, what is going on? So it's like this weird trial by fire. But at the same time, there's another guy there. And I realized very quickly, it was like me versus him. So it's like skiing and hanging out and then trying to out write or, or create for this. It was just weird. Um, but it was, it, it was a great experience. I mean, I got, it was crazy. Uh, and then working there was like, it was, it was fun and very stressful. And they do the season in chunks. Then, then they did at least where they did like, I think like seven, they did seven and then took a break. Then another seven, like three months later. And they fired me after the first seven. Which was, I was like, at that time, I was like heartbroken. But I remember my friend Eric Rivanoia goes, you're going to get fired. Everyone gets fired here. I was like, oh, not me. And then the end of the <laughs> end of this, uh, seven episodes, they're like, yeah, you're, you're done. And I was like, oh, how come? And then they said, well, we felt like we already had your voice in the room. And I was like, well, that almost feels good because there's only four people there. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a great experience. And it was kind of fun because I, I was writing – uh, I was consulting on on South Park, and at the same time, I'd leave that job because sometimes that would get out at like two or noon. Even I would leave that job and then drive across town and go to Scrubs because I was writing on Scrubs at the same time too. So it was like I could go back and forth, which like felt pretty awesome for like those seven weeks to be like I'm doing both of these things right now. <laughs> That's incredible. That's a weird, but the weird, weird thing about that show, and it still I think is a little bit like this. You know, there's a there's a documentary called Seven Days of South Park, and it's so true. They will. I remember the first episode of the season when I was there. They didn't have a story. They have five, seven days to make it. They didn't have a story the first day. Didn't have a story the second day. Third day, they just told the animators to just start animating sequences that they thought maybe might work into the show. And by the fourth day, they sort of started building the show. So they had like basically built the show in three days, and they do that all the time. It's I don't know how you do that. I was wondering if Cougar right. Town was um, a comparably more fun show to write for, or which show you've worked on was like the most fun for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, the one that was the most fun was the one that didn't come out was the Marvel one I did the, the new warriors. Cause that was just, I, all of them were fun. They were, and they were all great, but um, new warriors was because I'm a big old comic book nerd. So I got to write basically a uh, action comedy half hour with a, this amazing staff of people and wrote 10 episodes of it and shot the pilot. It was that was a blast. That was really fun. Um, cause it felt like you were kind of like 
riding this high wire of like, here's a thing no one's ever done and I'm not sure it's going to work. Let's see if we can make it work. And also there's explosions and squirrel girls jumping around every episode with their tail and, you know, in tippy toes talking to her. And, 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 it, and it was, it was like animatronics and CG. And it was so, that was, that was really fun. Um, so probably that one. <laughs> wow. I didn't know that there were 10 episodes of that. Yeah, we wrote 10. This might be secret, but that's fine. It's three years later. We wrote 10 of them and then uh, it, we, and we shot the pilot. Yeah. And then, and then Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good show though. First off, I want to say that I want to tell you that Scrubs is like one of my favorite shows of all time. Uh, so um, your episode, um, My Misperception, is yeah. my favorites. Like when oh, t- Tambourine Dance, like not going to happen. I <laughs> Times like tonight. Anyway, I'll tell Phil that. That's great. Um, but my question is, you've like written so many different things. Mm-hmm. What is have you? Is sort of broad. Sure. Have you sort of distilled one sort of characteristic of story that is like the most important to focus on that like makes your writing sing. I guess does that make sense? That, that's a great question. Yeah, I think, and I hope this doesn't sound trite. Like I feel like having like, I, I can't, I can't get into anything unless there's a heart in it. Like I can't write something unless it's got heart to it. I just, I, I it's just not in my DNA. I can't just write like a caustic, you know, comment. Like just not, it, I can't do that. But part of that is I feel like I always gravitate towards stuff that has hope and the, and kind of the struggle for hope as, as part of a, a big chunk of it, not just like hope general, but like how hard it is to have hope you know, and how hard and how that can just knock the crap out of you and how it puts you in a position where you can be mocked and, and, and it's easier to be sarcastic, but just to, to, and how, and how, you know, in, like in the, the world we're living in right now, how hard it is to say, no, I think I, I can make things better. I'm going to try as hard as I can for them to get better. That to me is something, a, dr- a drive and a goal that I feel like I kind of come back to again and again. You know, I mean, I always like shows where it, 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 where it boils down to, people being nice to each other. I mean, everything from Friday Night Lights to Parenthood to, you know, to The Good Place. I mean, literally it's called The Good Place. Like there's something that is still novel about people looking outside themselves and just, they can be dicks to each other. They can be cruel. They can be whatever. But if at the end of the day, there's, they're just, they're doing something that is uh, not selfish, that is giving to somebody else and saying, I'm going to help you. That always to me is like, I've, I love seeing that executed well in shows. Hi, Kevin. Hi. Uh, I was wondering, out of everything you've done, mm-hmm. uh, do you have a scene or a moment or maybe even an episode of The Structure or is something you uh, enjoyed, but like, what are you most proud of? That's a good question. Uh, well, the two that pop into my mind are, there was, is, is there's an episode of Cougar Town that was based on this old uh, Michael Caine, Shirley MacLaine film called Gambit that I, if you've never seen it, watch it. It's, I've never, there's a remake. I've never seen the remake, but watch the original. It's excellent. And there's a structural thing they do in that film where they basically the first half an hour is this insane heist with all the stuff that happens and Shirley McFlain and Michael Caine are part of it. And you're like, wow. Okay. But where's the movie going to go? And then it ends and it cuts back to Michael Caine and he goes, and that's how it's going to happen. And then the rest of that movie is what you, how you think the heist is supposed to go. But it totally plays out totally different and all the things they've set up are, are, are destroyed and it's great. And from the first season of Cougar Town, I was like, we should do an episode that uses that structure. And then season three, we did that episode. We did that episode. And I love the way that turned out is 
And that's the one that has like the scrubs ending on it where they all showed up there. Cause that was like a weird part of it. I love that one is to me was like I, probably my proudest episode of that show. And then as far as just a scene, I still love the, um, the end, the last scene of enlisted. Cause I feel like it sums up, you know, it sums up kind of basically the whole, my whole gut thing of what that series was about. Um, and it just, and that was one of those things where it's like, there was a last scene and I, I went in my office here at home and just wrote it. I was like, I'm going to write this by myself and wrote the last scene myself and then, you know, gave it to everybody. And, but it pretty much like, and I'm usually not precious and I don't usually go like, Oh, I, I wrote it. Cause it's, it's a team thing. That's pretty exact to what I wrote. Like we cut like two different lines, but that's pretty much it. And the way it was shot and performed, I was so proud of everybody and edited. Like, so that, I think that scene is, is in particular is one I'm the most proud of. Uh, Peter, you have a question. Um, how do you deal with writer's block? Do you have a special process to get through it or do you just have to wait and wait for it to be over? Alcohol. <laughs> a lot of alcohol. No, I mean, sometimes, yes, I can't lie. I mean, there is, and I, I'm not encouraging this to any of you, God knows how old you guys are, but there is definitely something to be said for after, you know, you, you can't figure something out. I'm just going to, I'm going to sit here and turn on TV and have a beer or, uh, you know, that's not, it's a weekday. Uh, most of the time it's, I'm going to get up from where I'm sitting and I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to take half a day and I'm going to tend my garden. I'm going to, you know, go play with my kids. I'm going to do, I'm going to read a book or watch a movie. I'm going to play video games, like anything to kind of take me out of the, the, the conscious headspace, because the thing I think that's important when it comes to writer's block and being kind of stuck is that, and I said this the other day on Twitter, is that if you're in something and you're writing it and your brain is really jamming on it, you're always working on it. Like your subconscious is always going to be thinking about it. So even if your conscious brain is like, I can't figure the scene out, it's always great to step or a story or whatever it is, character. It's always great to step away, give yourself and don't, be, don't give yourself a time limit. Give yourself a day, give yourself a two, a week, whatever it is. Because in that time, your subconscious is still cooking. And that's why you'll be walking along and boom, they'll go, oh, shit, I know how to fix it. Because this part of your brain back here, wherever your subconscious is, I don't know, I'm not the doctor, um, that's still working on stuff. So the be so basically, that's again, another long-winded way of saying just you got to give yourself a break. That's the only way I've ever found that you can get over um, being blocked. Um, what kind of impact do you think interacting fans has on the success of a show? I think it's it was... It, that was like a big hot topic for uh, a couple years at the end near, when we were in the like mid mid run of Cougar Town, and people came down back. You know, either oh, it doesn't mean anything; it means everything. I think at we and we were really like hardcore engaging fans. We were having viewing parties. We did a thing where we took episodes all around the country, like like a tour, like with a, when some of the actors would come. And what that did is like you. It, it kind of speaks to that thing I said before about. It, pretending we we're going to change the name any way you can generate uh, passion amongst people. And especially now where there are so many shows is a, that is like a, something you, you should totally, totally, totally go for because if they're going to, that will make a difference if you're on the, on a bubble of like, whether they're going to bring a show back or not, like having a passionate fan base, like that is a huge deal. Like, and it doesn't always, it doesn't always mean like things survive. It doesn't always mean that like, okay, having a, fan base is going to make the show survive, but it can, um, in some instances, 
and I think the other thing that's important, and, and that's, but that's just on a, like a selfish, like how does the show survive level on a level of like creating something. It, nothing feels better than having people say, oh, we really care about the show. We're passionate about it. And like having a fan base, it's, that's awesome. And it feels uh, interacting with people who care because they're caring about the same way that I care about it. And the other writers and actors care about it. I think that's a, it's a hugely important thing. And it feels like every show that I've ever really loved, I've been one of those like big, big fans of and, and you know, go on the blogs and read the stories and online. Like, I think that's, that's key to it now. Like you kind of, and in, in kind of engaging that and stoking it is part of the job as, as, as a showrunner now. Like you kind of, you have to, I think you have to do that. I think if you ignore that and say, okay, I'm not going to deal with it like that, you're missing a giant opportunity, not only for your own satisfaction, but because you never know, like engaging with somebody about something that could be, that could affect their day or life or whatever. You never know how that's going to happen. So I think, I think that's a, it's a hugely important thing that should not, um, that everyone, every showrunner should, should uh, encourage it as much as possible. We were talking about enlisted before there was when that, when the first trailers came out and like military blogs on Twitter be like, what the hell is this? I'm not kidding you. There was probably at least 200 DM personal DM conversations I had with people of like talking about the show, reaching out to them and every single, and I'm not every single person to a T that I reached out to and talked to and engaged. They went from, Oh my God, this looks like crap to, Oh, okay. This is interested to becoming a fan to actually like to be being a proponent of it. And it's like, that's part of it. You have to engage people. You can't just kind of say, Oh, hands off, you know, cause I just don't think that works anymore. How has your comedic writing process changed or what has stayed the same from your transition from scrubs to Cougar town and enlisted? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think in a great way, uh, right. And you know, here, here, look at big dopey white guy saying this, Writers' rooms have gotten a lot less where everybody looks like this. They've gotten a lot more inclusive. They've uh, and as far, and as far as the the kind of jokes and the stories, like uh, early on on shows I was on, it definitely felt a little bit like boys' club, like the kind of stuff that's like you know, like I I can't repeat this conversation. And I think people have gotten a lot smarter about that. Not just as far as like staying guarded and like I can't say things, but like realizing we live in a, the world's different now, like those jokes that you used to make 15 years ago, aren't funny. Like that's not what we're, that, you have to be sensitive to other people. Um, and I think the idea that comedy can come more from personal experience and come more from kind of the awkwardness of being a human being and less from jokey, jokey punchline is like a wonderful thing. And I, I think that's, that's the kind of stuff that I like. Um, and that's the, I've seen that's, I've definitely seen my writing change that way. And uh, writers rooms I've been in um, over the years have definitely swayed more towards that um, than than they did before. And I think, you know, I think in a good way, people have just gotten more sensitive and uh, more aware. And like, in like, there's been a bit of an empathy explosion, which is wonderful. I mean, because I think that's the that's the way to make things matter heart wise. But I also think that's the way to make comedy connect a lot more personally. That's the way you make comedy connect a lot more. Um, Cause it's less about just picking targets and, and mocking and however, whatever. And instead it's just going, Oh, okay. I'm going to, I'm going to make fun of myself because this weird thing that I have about me is probably something other people share, but I'm going to make it personal. Like I don't, I like doing different stuff. Everyone not, and not kind of doing the same type of show every single time. Cause I think the challenge is fun and it's, it's fun to feel like you're doing something like a, a little different, not even just from what's out there, but just in yourself. Um, 
and you know, like I'm, I'm writing a thing now that is a big weird fantasy thing. And another thing that is like kind of a weird over the course of one night thing. And those are, I've never done either one of those before. So it's kind of thrilling to throw myself into those worlds because I feel like I'm challenging myself and that's, that's what's um, hopefully going to create something that's like a little, I'm not, I don't want to be like just kind of repeat the same rhythms and jokes and material and plot lines. Cause if I just did the same show over and over, over again, um, I, I fear just for me, I would fall into that trap. I think it's been a, about an hour, Kevin. I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but no, I, I love talking to you guys. Thank you for having me. Well, all I can say is just, you know, stick with it and keep writing. I mean, it's, it's, it's the easiest thing to say, but it's the truest thing as far as, as far as my experience has been. Just, just keep at it. Forever Dog. This has been a Forever Dog production. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey. For more original podcasts, please visit foreverdogpodcasts.com and subscribe to our shows on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Keep up with the latest Forever Dog news by following us on Twitter and Instagram at Forever Dog Team and liking our page on Facebook.